Let's pray. <laughs> Holy Spirit of God, descend upon us now. Help us to see, to listen, be in our hearts. Break open your word and make us more like Jesus. For his name's sake. Amen. Well, it really is absolutely fantastic to be here. Um, my name's Paul. I'm your archdeacon. That's a really boring conversation, but if you really want to have it afterwards over coffee, then I'm really happy uh, to talk to you. Um, the most important thing I feel I need to say to you in, by way of introduction is that I'm Welsh. <laughs> Did Mike mention that earlier? <laughs> um, so I'm a Welshman in England. I've spent most of my life in Wales. I was born and brought up there, and I spent 21 years in ministry there. I'm married to a Surrey girl, and after 21 years, she's won. Um, we're back... <laughs> in Surrey, God had something to do with it, and um, it was really great, actually. We landed here in uh, December 2017, and the first place we worshipped was St. Saviour's, uh, and the welcome we had that morning was really wonderful. I looked on your website this week, and it says there that you have a heart to be a big family who welcomes everyone. It didn't mention the Welsh, but it said that you welcome everyone. Um, and I just want to encourage you and say, you know, actually, every church thinks it's good at welcoming people. They're not always, but you really are. And Mike said something to me before the service this morning, which I think um, just help me to see what it is about this church that is really welcoming. He said, Paul, just be who you are. And I sense that's the message you say to everybody. Just be who you are. Just be the person that God has made you to be. And I just want to, to thank you and to bless you for that from the wider diocese. We love you and we are so grateful for the ministry that you have in welcoming people here at, at the centre of Guildford. I once heard a theologian say that uh, when he looked at the New Testament, what he saw in Jesus' establishment of the church was a space in the world cleared by Jesus in which people can be who they most truly are. I find that quite profound. Um, a, play, a space in the world cleared by Jesus in which they can be who they truly are, and you do that amazingly here, so thank you. I'm not sure about St. Saviour's, but I was, for many years, a vicar of a town centre church. And I imagine, if your church is anything like mine was, that you get all sorts of people through those doors. Some people who are easy to love, some people who perhaps might be less easy to love. One of the people who turned up 
on a very regular basis in my town centre church was Albert. He was one of those people who was slightly less easy to love. In the words of my seven-year-old daughter at the time, Dad, he's one of the most disgusting people I have ever seen. Albert was probably in his 60s. He lived on his own in a terraced house not far from the church. And he presented two particular difficulties for the congregation. One was that he was completely averse to washing, shaving, or changing his clothes. I feel that sometimes my 16-year-old son falls into that category. <laughs> he had no concept of personal hygiene whatsoever. But the second problem was that he constantly stole food. Whenever there was an event in church where we were laying on food, Albert was the first to appear. He would stuff his carrier bag with as much food as he could possibly squeeze into it. The real sadness was that we knew he didn't eat any of the food. He just took it home and stored it. Needless to say, his, health, his house was a health hazard. He was a really difficult person to help. Most of us recognized that his behavior was probably the manifestation of some sort of illness. But as Albert increasingly annoyed me, I found myself asking the question, what might God be trying to say to me or us through Albert? And I think eventually I glimpsed the answer. Today's parable that we heard from Luke chapter 12 is probably one of the stories that I have read more than any other story in the whole Bible. I think I read it nearly every evening for the best part of six or seven years. Not in the NIV or the NRSV or the KJB or anything like that, but in a version uh, by Nick Butterworth, illustrated by Mick Inkpen, Stories Jesus Told. I don't know whether any of you who are parents have got this book. Ours is a very battered copy, and uh, it was hugely, hugely loved. I really recommend it for young children, and I promise I'm not on commission. Um, for those of you who, who haven't seen it, here's a glimpse of the book. So um, the version, uh, Nick Butterworth's version, goes like this. Here is a farmer who is very rich. This year he has so much corn in his barn, it can't hold it all. It's bursting at the seams. No problem, says the farmer. I will pull it down 
and build a bigger one. But when harvest comes round again, even the new barn is not big enough. No problem, says the farmer. I will build an even bigger, better barn. But at the next harvest time, even the bigger, better barn is not big enough. No problem, says the farmer. I will build the biggest, grandest barn the world has ever seen. When it's finished, the farmer says, now I can relax and enjoy myself. Tomorrow, I'll have a party. But that night, he dies in his sleep, and the farmer never gets to enjoy his wealth. Jesus says how silly it is for someone to spend a whole life storing up riches. To God, they are really very poor. I probably could have done that without looking at the words. I wonder why my children enjoyed it night after night. It's to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs, says Jesus. So I'd like to do just a little bit of hard work this morning as adults and try to become children for a few minutes that we might glimpse something of what Jesus is trying to say to us here. I think when we look at this parable more closely, there's a presenting issue and there's a deeper issue. The presenting issue is greed. The story comes right at the beginning of a big part of Luke's gospel, which consists of 10 chapters, from chapter 9 to chapter 19, which scholars sometimes call the road to Jerusalem. If you follow the geography of it, it's a very, very windy road to Jerusalem that sort of goes all over the place but it's the part of Luke's gospel which is the main section of Jesus' teaching. And he kicks off with some important stuff on discipleship, some of which you've heard in previous weeks. After some high-level teaching on prayer and mission, right at the beginning of this section, in chapter 12, he warns his disciples about three things three Ps, perseverance, possessions, and being prepared. So our narrative this morning forms a second warning in the midst of these three warnings. Three warnings. And the context is slightly strange. People didn't consult rabbis about inheritance in ancient Israel, or even in Uddersfield, uh, depending on which version you choose, mine or Pete's. Jewish law was really very specific about how things were divided following uh, the death of a man. A father would die, and then the inheritance, which was specifically the land, was divided amongst the sons, with the eldest son getting a double portion. But because of greed, 
on the part of the man in the parable, there's a dispute. He has decided against Jewish law that he should get more than is owing to him. He has no desire whatsoever to be on good terms with his brother and presumably couldn't care less about the relationship. He wants more than what's owing to him and he wants Jesus to fix it for him. Do you know, I think the sad thing is that, um, that sometimes greed has got in the way of the message that actually um, God gives to us out of his abundance. And he gives to us because he wants us to enjoy the gifts that he's given to us. I remember reading a lovely story some years ago, um, or hearing, actually, a lovely story um, told by Cardinal Basil Hume just before he died. He was uh, Archbishop of Westminster um, and the leader of the Roman Catholics in this country for many years. And I remember Basil telling the story of when he was a young child and uh, he went into the larder one day at home. He was really, really hungry. He went into the larder and he stole an apple. Um, this is a story particularly for Mike, uh, to encourage him, actually, um, with his shoplifting. But he stole an apple. And his father caught him stealing an apple. And uh, this large voice behind him boomed. Put that back where you found it. What do you think God would say to you if he caught you taking that apple. And Basil said, you know that haunted me for 40 years, that incident. It haunted me for 40 years until, as a man in my 60s, I said to God, Lord, you know, this still sits uncomfortably with me. What's the answer to my father's question? What's the answer to that question? What did you really want to say to me that morning? And do you know what he heard God say to him? Take two. Take two. You know, sometimes we're conditioned to think that actually possessions are bad. They're not. God longs to give to us, and he longs to give to us in abundance. Actually, what gets in the, in the way is just like in this parable this morning, the man who wanted more than uh, his due. Just as a footnote, Mike, that doesn't mean that you can go into Waitrose and steal two apples or, or 22. So the presenting issue is one of greed. But Jesus responds by telling a story which cuts to the deeper issue, which is about life itself. He preambles the story in verse 15 by saying, 
Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And there's just a little bit lost in translation here. If we were reading our Bibles in Greek this morning, which I'm sure many of you are doing, um, we'd know that there are three Greek words for life. The first is bios, which refers to the life of the physical body from which we get uh, the word biology. Then there's psyche, which refers to the life of the soul or the spirit from which we get the word psychology. And then there's a wonderful word. It's the word Zoe. Have we got any Zoes here in the congregation this morning? Any Zoes? No, I love, I love the word Zoe. Um, my daughter's already got three names, which Louise and I loved, um, and it, was it, was, it would have been unfair to give her a fourth, but had she had a fourth, it would have been Zoe. Um, Zoe is a word which refers to the eternal and uncreated life of God, to that breath that we spoke about in the song this morning, that breath which is just from God. Not, not physical existence, but the life of God within us. And significantly, in this parable, Jesus uses the word Zoe. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's Zoe, a man's eternal and uncreated life of God, does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but in verse 21 in being rich towards God. The story of the rich fool is therefore one about increase and decrease. As the man increases in possessions, so he decreases in his Zoe life and in being rich towards God and others. And so what's really significant here is not the death of bios, the biological, physical life of this man. When we read it in Greek, what's significant is the death of the Zoe life, the theological, the spiritual life. It's as if his physical death is a symbol of a spiritual death that happens. So what does all this mean for us in 21st century Surrey? and for us here at St. Saviour's this morning. After 21 years of working in Wales, when my appointment to Guildford was announced, the reaction in Bangor was uh, interesting, if not predictable. England? Archdeacon of Surrey? Does that come with a brand new Range Rover? <laughs> I'm actually able to tell my friends back in Wales now that it's not all like that. That asset wealth and the cost of living can actually make people quite poor in parts of Surrey. That there are significant areas of deprivation in our diocese, an existing cheek by jowl with considerable wealth that adds 
another complicated dynamic that can cause even greater pressure. That said, we are the wealthiest county in England with the highest GDP and the highest proportion of millionaires. That doesn't mean that we have to go home and sell all our possessions and give the lot to the poor. I was alongside a husband whose wife had done that, and we had to sort of go through the Bible a bit more and, uh, and make her realize that um, it wasn't God's intention that we don't have the basic things that we need in life. But it does mean that we have to be particularly careful not to become too attached to material possessions, which is a danger for each one of us. How do we do that? How do we make sure that we don't become too, too attached to material possessions? Well, I want to suggest briefly that it's by taking hold of Zoe life, of that uncreated uh, God life within us in two ways. First, through our radical generosity to God. I love that question that the psalmist asks, Psalm 116. What shall I give unto the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I'd just like you this week to consider your offering to the Lord. Not out of a place of guilt, but out of a place of radical generosity. Treasures, talent, time. That last one, I think, is a real precious commodity in Surrey. Yesterday, we had a, a fantastic diocesan synod meeting in Dorking. In fact, it's the best synod meeting I've ever been to. It's partly because it wasn't led by, by us. It was led by the young people of the diocese. And it was an opportunity to listen to them uh, rather than talk at them, which they tell us we're quite good at. And one of the things that really struck me was listening to an 11-year-old uh, called Mary. And I said to Mary, Mary, what's the biggest problem for you as an 11-year-old with the church today? Without thinking, she said, adults. <laughs> okay, I could have seen that one coming. But say a little more. And she said, we don't have enough adults in our church for the youth group to meet any longer. I just felt so guilty when I heard that. We just don't have enough adults for the youth group to meet any longer. All those adults that gave me time when I was a child and that passed on their faith to me, where are we? So I'm challenging you to think of one additional act of generosity towards God during 2019, just one, one intentional act of generosity. Um, I'm not allowing myself off the hook, so I have put my name down 
to be on the rota for uh, the monthly messy church in West Clandon where I live. I think it might end up being a very messy church. Um, but I'm on rota, and I'm not doing it as archdeacon, I'm doing it as Paul on my day off as a disciple. The second way I suggest we take hold of God's Zoe life is through our radical generosity towards others. The tragedy of the rich fool was not that he was rich. Each one of us here today is rich in so many ways. The tragedy was that he was a fool. He failed to be generous with what God had so generously given him and so missed the point of Zoe life. Missed the point of sharing in that Zoe life of God by discovering the joy of generosity and its power not just to to transform the person who is the receiver, but more significantly the person who is the giver too. So your second challenge this week is to think of one additional act of generosity towards others in 2019. Once again, I've um, committed myself to supporting a charity. It's the Garden Root Children's Trust. It's a Surrey charity which uh, supports the feeding and education of some of the poorest children in uh, South Africa. Um, I've chosen it as my charity for the year. And I had a big achievement last week, my first ever sporting achievement. I actually did the Surrey half. And uh, (laughs) it's the reason why my legs are only just enabling me to stand this morning. Um, But I managed through that to raise enough money to feed 40 children in a township um, not far from Cape Town for a whole 12 months. So, two challenges. One intentional act of generosity towards God and one towards others, whether that involves time, treasures, talents, whatever. After years of being intensely annoyed by smelly Albert, turning up to stuff his carrier bag full of food as soon as it appeared in church, I think I worked out what God was saying to me and to us as a church all those years ago. He was a modern walking parable of the rich fool. Through him, God was saying, take all I have given you and enjoy it to the full. But find your greatest fulfillment, not in keeping it to yourself, but in sharing the radical generosity, which is the Zoe life of my kingdom. My challenge this morning is let's just push out a little further into the deep water this year in radical generosity to God and to others, that we may behold that Zoe life in ourselves and in others for the glory of Jesus.
and for the extension of his kingdom here in Guildford.